Hello and welcome to the Club Chimera Martial Arts Podcast. My name is Jamie Club. My intention with these shows is to discuss various issues in the world of martial arts and self-protection that have inspired my teaching, training and writing. If you're interested in the material I cover, please check out the show notes at the end of this program and also my website, clubchimera.com. This episode is entitled The Way of the Tiger, Fearful Symmetry. For those who have read this title, you'll note that the archaic spelling of the word tiger is taken from William Blake's 1794 poem, using a Y instead of an I. Apparently the spelling, although common, was even archaic in Blake's day, and the poet spelt it the way it is spelt today elsewhere. Critics believe he used the old spelling to create an exotic effect, or to emphasise that the tiger, tiger burning bright in the work was a metaphor. Here I'm going to risk being even more abstract with my hook, and say that the subject of symmetry, rather than one of my stripy friends, will be the theme of this show. I refer to symmetry in two distinct areas of fighting dynamics, and I'm using this podcast as an opportunity to describe them both. I hope you enjoy the show. Fight dynamics define areas of combat. When individuals exchange strikes, they engage in a very different form of kinetic movement than when individuals are locked into a grappling situation. I noticed, as did my students, that a different form of fitness was required when switching from a stand-up striking art to a grappling one. The most dramatic example I experienced was when I stepped out of Muay Thai with Tony Hayes' Warwick Warriors and into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at Braulio Stemmer's Gracie Baja in Birmingham. The Muay Thai had certainly improved my fighting fitness and I had been one of those invited to Tony's fortnightly fight clubs where we would sometimes train up to four hours of sparring and pad work in addition to our regular lessons during the week. However, despite being a fan of the Thai clinch range and having some live grappling experience, my new training partners made me feel slower than the proverbial asthmatic ant carrying heavy shopping. I was gasping for air and it felt like I was fighting in hell with no respite. The tempo and pacing was different from even the judo star Nuaza I had sparred in during my Japanese jiu-jitsu training. Moving across styles again, and I was surprised at how unprepared I was for my small stint in freestyle wrestling. With over six years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu under my belt, working with some superb national and international level players, along with my hugely valuable one-to-one personal training time with the great Valley Tudo fighter teacher Matty Evans, I expected my stand-up grappling game to be reasonable. After all, the mixed martial arts training I'd formerly learnt from different gyms and developed with my students permitted all the techniques that were allowed in freestyle wrestling. As discussed in my recent interview with T.W. Smith, I was in for a rude awakening. Muay Thai had saved me from the big pickups and slams. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, both wearing a gi and without one, had allowed me more backward movement and even rolling onto my back. Even some of my short forays into Judo Randori had not prepared me for the colliding nature and the staccato rhythm of this particular grappling style, that is, freestyle wrestling. In recent times, I have noticed how my private clients find the movement dynamics between Western boxing and Muay Thai to be one of the biggest cross-training challenges. Modern Western boxing has some of the most sophisticated, highly developed and versatile footwork in the world of combat sports. However, it needs to be carefully adapted rather than transplanted verbatim into the far more patient and generally closer range game of modern Muay Thai, where side-on and long stances will ruthlessly be exposed to the devastating low round kick. Whilst the Western boxer ties up opponents to frustrate them, wear them down and expose them to brief spells of body punching, the Nak Moy will blatantly wrestle to unbalance and simultaneously strike. The Nak Moy appears to plod and rock to a simpler beat, 
when compared to his fleet-footed western cousin, but immersion and respect for his game needs to be attained if a martial arts cross-trainer really wishes to access his highly effective weapons. So far, I've discussed fight dynamics within the context of combat sports. Different sports have different fight tempos that demand their own unique type of fitness. Matters get really interesting when we see an average athlete from one sport transfer to another and show that they are more than capable at handling their new opponents on their own terms. This doesn't tend to happen within the context of the sports I've discussed, possibly due to their high level of competitive development, but I've seen representatives of lesser known fighting styles be given a run for their money in their own arena by an average fighter from a more popular sport. Subtle differences in fight dynamics might be overridden by fighting knowledge that's been built on far more experience or students who simply fight more often. It's worth bearing in mind as a discussion for another day. For now, I'm going to move on to how symmetry, or more specifically how asymmetry, can dramatically change fight dynamics. Asymmetry features in combat sports. We learn it within the context of specific sparring. When Muhammad Ali trained for his fight in Zaire against the dreaded and seemingly unstoppable world heavyweight champion George Foreman, he adopted a now famous strategy. Observers from the media became worried for the former champion during his public sparring displays against Larry Holmes. During these public bouts, it appeared that Holmes was dominating the famous footwork artist by cornering him and pinning him to the ropes. Little did they realise Ali was utilising Archie Moore's turtle shell strategy that would later be redubbed Ropadope. The self-declared the greatest was learning how to fight against form and style, which consisted of stalking opponent and manhandling them into a corner or onto the ropes where he could unleash his devastating punches to full effect. Ali learnt how to effectively cover up and to lean into the ropes, thus robbing his opponent of his power. This would be coupled with Ali's notorious verbal and physical baiting, which would lead his terrifying opponent to wear himself out. Whether he was dancing around the ring or shelling up on the ropes, Ali had an insightful mind to make his opponent come forward and fall into his carefully laid traps. Although it could be argued that all good fighters are apt at either making other fighters play their game or using an opponent's game against them, Ali's sparring matches with Holmes provides us with an example of what many would later label as specific training. As combat sports have developed, coaches have learned to pit their fighters against sparring partners who will display characteristics of their scheduled opponents. They often go as far as to orchestrate the sparring matches into specific situations they're likely to face when fighting their opponent. This can be transferred over into teaching. A very effective way to get a student to properly test their knowledge of a technique is to have them train a chosen particular move against a partner with progressive levels of resistance. Here is an example. A student wishes to be better at executing, say, a hip throw when fighting. Begin the exercise with the student using the technique on a compliant training partner. After drilling the throw enough times, both as a repetition muscle memory exercise where only the entries are used, and as a full throw, you then gradually move on to adding more resistance. The training partner begins by dropping their weight a bit more. The student is still able to complete the throw, but he will now find it more labour intensive. The partner begins to increase the resistance to the point where he is just plain awkward to throw. This is the last phase before he begins to actively resist the throw. Through mutual understanding, a type of specific sparring begins to gradually develop. Finally, the training partner begins to fight back until you arrive at a stage where the student is trying to score a certain hip throw on an opponent who knows it is coming. This forces the student to create new ways to set up his technique. This entire process might also be done when testing a defence. Perhaps one of the best examples of asymmetrical fighting in combat sports is demonstrated on the ground. Asymmetrical ground fighting is differentiated from symmetrical ground fighting by having one of the two combatants standing. Here the grounded fighter is defending against all the advantages of an opponent with gravity on his side. 
If the two are still grappling, he has the threat of being stacked where a lot of pressure will be placed on his neck and shoulders. Or, if the rule set permits, he is in danger of downward strikes and being slammed. If the two are no longer grappling, it becomes a game of using one's legs and hips to fend off an opponent aiming for one's head. When in a symmetrical ground fight, the person fighting from the top position often attempts to change everything to a symmetrical situation. One of the first things Fralia Stemmers taught me in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was to stand when in someone's guard. These principles, not to mention many valid attributes from BJJ, are carried over into counter-assault situations. As I pointed out in the first part of the Galahad's Golds podcast, a solid self-defence plan is to get back to one's feet as quickly, efficiently and safely as possible. This is why I address recovery from an asymmetrical ground fight situation very early on in my self-protection courses. Self-protection and counter-assaults brings our fight symmetry subject into a far broader interpretation of fight dynamics. The martial arts subculture has long been in regular contention over what constitutes an effective combat art. There are many martial arts tribes and sub-tribes fighting their own corner for a variety of different reasons and often changing the goalposts to suit their view. Rules and restrictions in training or competition are often what allows any particular side to claim that what the other side is doing is not real. I often think that many miss the main defining issue when it comes to a physical fight. From a dynamic and strategical perspective, there are only two types of fight, symmetrical and asymmetrical. Symmetrical fights, in the broad sense, concerns two opposing people or sides trying to attain the same goal. We might loosely define these fights as match fights. They are consensual by nature, even when one side has been bullied and coerced into fighting. Combat sports in the main are symmetrical fights even if certain elements or even dominant strategies of the fight can be called asymmetric. Most street fights, pub brawls or even gang fights are symmetrical. Rules or lack of rules are not the issue. The objective of the fight defines its overall dynamic. Two opposing sides are seeking to dominate each other. The goal of the opponents or enemies is to win, even when there are no established rules, codes of conduct or rituals, human behaviourists and ethnologists have noticed prevailing universal fighting characteristics. Combatants often circle one another. If they are striking, they will move to a certain distance. If they are grappling, they will tentatively link up. They will exchange attacks and defences providing a to and fro situation. There will be rest spots if the fight is not over quickly. In nature, typically animals of the same species fight symmetrically. This is because their objective is usually to establish hierarchy or claim territory. Asymmetrical fights concern two opposing people or sides attempting to achieve different goals. We might define these situations as assaults. They're not typically consensual by nature. Although one side still wishes to dominate in some form, they usually do not expect the other side to provide a fair amount of, if any, resistance to their attack. The defender in such situations is simply trying to stop the attack, reduce its impact, or avoid it altogether. Both sides have different objectives, and this defines the dynamics of the asymmetric fight. The striker typically hits like a sniper rather than a gunslinging duelist. The grappler pounces to immediately subdue or restrain the other side rather than seeking a grip. Muggings, rapes and murderers are asymmetric fights. Effective counter-assaults attempt to flip the side of the dynamic with a defender turning on their attacker or would-be attacker as quickly as possible to inflict enough trauma in order to swiftly bring the violence to a close or to facilitate an exit. Unlike the symmetrical match fight, the assault-counter-assault is not exemplified by to-and-fro combat, rather it is a very fast, uninterrupted stream of physical aggression. In nature, animals of different species typically fight one another asymmetrically. This is usually best seen within the predator-versus-prey context. 
Think of the way a lioness pursues a zebra, taking advantage of the open plane that provides her with space to manoeuvre and come in at different angles, often utilising the hardwired teamwork strategies of the pride to take down her target. Imagine trying to literally chase a fellow grappler around the mats. There's a good reason why fighters are penalised for such negative play. There is simply no game if one opponent decides they don't want to engage. Now think of what happens when said zebra fights back. They kick with their hind legs until enough space has been made or the line is neutralised in order to flee. When fighting with their own, hind leg kicking also occurs but this is usually done to either disengage from a bully or when cornering a subordinate member of the herd. Stallions when fighting for mating rights however will usually face head on and stand on their hind legs to kick with their front legs and bite in a test of strength. This is not the type of behaviour best adopted when trying to fight a lion. We also see another prey of the lion, the many African species of antelope, facing off against their own kind, butting horns as if fencing. Yet this is not what happens when the antelope chooses to fight back against the predator. Rather than pitting their horns directly against the hunter's teeth and claws, it will more likely angle off and seek to penetrate their enemy from the side. The mindset of a human predator who preys upon another human might be comparable to the practice of cannibalism. Here one human treats another as if they weren't of the same species. They're targeting their prey rather than challenging a rival. Looking at these two different fight dynamics, we can see why a combative teacher might wish to base an entire self-defence system on methods that support an asymmetric approach to fighting. Such a view should underpin the way individuals approach their physical training. This should be foundational self-defence training for civilians or virtually anyone on the receiving end of an assault. The counter-assault is mainly concerned with self-preservation, but can be extended to others up to a point. Protecting others can be factored in when one considers certain bodyguard tactics. When a bodyguard steps in front of a principal and preemptively strikes an incoming threat, this is just a variation on using the concept of offence. This time the bodyguard sets their boundary in front of the individual they are protecting, and once that is breached they are triggered to act and the business of fighting is the same as it would have been if they were protecting themselves. Likewise, wading through a crowd of aggressors with the principal holding on is asymmetrical fighting. The defender is fighting to an exit point and safe space while the aggressors have an entirely different objective. Active intervention to arrest or subdue someone committing an act of violence or crime is also asymmetric. The only difference between this and previous situations is that the predator has been turned into the prey. However, one might argue the same dynamic flip can often occur during a counter-assault. The response from the person defending might not end in accessing an exit point, but in subduing or even neutralising the attacker. Regardless of the roles, the asymmetric fight dynamic remains for the civilian this far. However, asymmetrical fighting does have its limitations in the world of managing violence outside of combat sport. When one flips the dynamic and decides to engage in a violent situation that most would be advised to avoid, such as some form of arrest or restraint situation, there's always the possibility of the criminal deciding that they want a match fight. This sort of thing was not uncommon during the pre-licensed days of door security, where old school bouncers regularly took on alpha animal roles and were expected to square off against troublemakers in match fights. These straighteners or square goes were effectively street fighting duels used to solidify the reputation of the door staff and thus protect the establishment and its patrons from violence. Police officers might find that criminals they have come to arrest decide to not just fight to flee but as an act of direct rebellion. A criminal might have a personal grievance with a particular officer or the police in general. Many will orchestrate a match fight situation to reinforce their own reputation on the street. For an arresting officer, such scenarios can often be avoided with the presence of backup officers or maintaining a safe distance before said officers arrive. An officer, like a civilian, should best avoid entering into a match fight situation. 
However, it's not always possible with cornered criminals or when intervening in a violent situation. The officers should do their best to break with this symmetrical dynamic whenever possible, but the melee of a street fight can easily make everything from the use of verbal tactics to weapons be part of the dance. In short, and many of my police officer friends can attest to this fact, it can be very difficult to arrest a driven individual who is trying to physically overpower you. Then there are the challenges of riot police who pretty much go directly into large-scale match fights that dynamically resemble aspects of medieval open warfare and are therefore symmetrical fights. Modern open warfare is also a symmetrical fight. Fighters attack and defend over territory. The to-and-fro dynamic comes into play. Outside of this, various tactics such as bombing raids, sniper attacks, ambushes and sea strike situations are asymmetric. War, on the whole, is a unique mixture of symmetrical and asymmetrical fighting, with different wars having different ratios of the two, often decided by how different or similar the objectives are of the different sides involved. The family of various team games, known as football, is never usually classed as a combat sport. However, the medieval European version of the game, from where it seems likely all the modern versions of soccer, rugby, Australian rules, American and Canadian football can trace their roots, consisted of two sides fighting over a ball. The game still survives to this day and is played in various districts as part of a folk tradition. However, the far more popular modern versions of the game still possess various combative characteristics. Soccer, or just plain football as it's mainly called in my country, appears to be the most officially removed version from its combative roots. This isn't to say there isn't plenty of unlawful fighting on the pitch as well as various fouls. The sport has prompted the creation of the tradition of hooligan firms attached to various teams who meet at live events with the express purpose of fighting one another. Within American, Canadian and Australian football as well as rugby, we find the existence of attributes that can be immediately transferred to self-defence whereas the scrum and the various forms of tackling provide aspects of the clinch found in primal grappling, it is the use of evasive and fending off tactics, especially against multiple opponents in order to reach a point of safety, that share a strong relationship with tactical escaping found in counter-assault situations. Putting it simply, the main objective of the game is for a single player to be able to access an exit point whilst avoiding being captured. Looking at the asymmetry found in combat sports, the self-defense-minded martial artist can gain a tremendous amount of valuable attributes. To take modern freestyle wrestling as an example, the objective of the defensive side of the game is to stay standing and avoid being taken to the ground. If the fight does go to the ground, the sport teaches how to maintain a strong posture. It was these attributes that provided some of the biggest shifts in the world of mixed martial arts competition. Wrestlers were the link between the stand-up strikers and the submission specialists on the ground. Freestyle wrestling provided an important building block for the sport to develop and its participants to grow as better fighters. The 21st century saw the rise of dangerous strikers who had solid takedown defences learned from freestyle wrestling. This transition stems from the fact that a good freestyle wrestler cannot just play a defensive game or he'll be penalised. He has to maintain a strong base whilst taking action. Due to the sport of wrestling's restrictions, the game becomes more explosive compared to the majority of other popular grappling sports, aided by the fact that wrestlers do not wear jackets and there is less traction in the fight dynamics. Such principles and the confidence it can breed provide a great underpinning for any reasonable set of self-defense hard skills. Acknowledging the difference between symmetric and asymmetric fighting is not enough. Activities should be developed that clearly differentiate between the two. During the late 2000s, I began setting up various games and pressure tests that were centered on participants having two different objectives. These activities included the predator versus prey game, where individuals play in the roles of predators mingle amongst the prey individuals, often using deceptive dialogue before attacking with the explicit purpose of holding onto their targets for a few seconds. The prey have to do what they can to avoid the predators and if possible fight them off before escaping within a very narrow window of time. 
The game brings out various elements in human behaviour, such as becoming blasé to present danger over a relatively short passage of time, having societal norms manipulated and the bystander effect. After playing the game several times and also discussing it between games, students learn how to be more efficient in their counter-assaults. Another asymmetrical activity involves simply pitting two individuals against each other with different rule sets geared towards different objectives for a one-minute round. In simple terms, it's grappling versus striking and anti-grappling, and can be set up in different ways. One of my Club Chimera cross-training methods is called the switch, and it involves having students spar and coach on focus mitts, changing them from symmetrical to asymmetrical fighting and back again with a moment's notice. Appreciating the very important difference between asymmetric and symmetric fight dynamics is vital education for the combatant. Such an understanding pushes teachers and students of combat systems to look deeper into principles, strategies and tactics rather than becoming obsessed with superficial techniques. Don't forget to check your feed line for special extra Club Chimera podcast shows on a variety of miscellaneous topics. These include audio commentaries from videos I'm putting up on YouTube, as well as reviews, interviews, and anything else that is falling outside of this year's general theme. Thanks again, everyone, for your support with the show. Shoutouts to Karate GP and Pretty Smart Animal from the UK and Hammy Brain from Australia for their kind reviews and ratings on iTunes. If you're enjoying these shows, I could really do with your ratings and comments on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Buzzsprout, or any other podcasting sharing platform. Please don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as the clubchimera.com website. There is new content going up there all the time. Please send in feedback and like, share, and subscribe to support my work. Join me next time on the show when I discuss martial arts evolution in The Way of the Ape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>